Hello and welcome back to another episode of Wealthy Expat. This week I've got the mighty Lewis Heaton on the show with me. Louis, how are you? Uh, I'm very well, Chris. Thank you for having me back. It is an absolute pleasure. It's always always good to get you on the show. We always have a, a good time. Yes, so, exactly right. Exactly. How have things been? How are you finding uh, things in Sydney at the moment? You managing with your lockdowns and, and uh, keeping your mind at peace? Yeah, trying to at least. I think we are day... Oh, I know. For any UK listeners, it's probably going to sound, you know, uh, a a bit of a junior lockdown. But I think we're entering day 100 soon. I'm not really sure. Keeping busy, but we can see the back end of it, I think. Um, We've got our announcements and stuff that we're going to start reopening and a few other, you know, little treats in a month or two. But no, keeping keeping sane, working from home. Um, I'm in the office, as you can probably tell. There's um, not this nice lighting in, in my house in Sydney, or or nor a lovely painted wall behind me. Um, but in saying that, uh, I've ducked into the office to record this today. But still working from home, chipping away, um, getting into the groove of it now. So it seems like, um, yeah, it took us it took us probably a little bit to to get used to it. But now I think we're uh, I think we're we're in full stride again. Nice. Well, uh, hopefully, think what about another month of lockdown the same for you, and then fingers crossed mm. uh, you're free again. Okay. Hopefully, you guys stay out of it. it sounds like uh, you know there might be some dabbling in yeah. of lockdowns again. Who knows? I hope not. I'm uh, I'm praying. Fingers across. Fingers crossed. Exactly that. Exactly that. Um, well, today I thought it'd be good to get you on the show to essentially debunk some of the most asked questions when it comes to property investment and then some assumptions that are made as well. Um, I think this will cater to a lot of listeners, regardless of where you are on the scale, really, um, and just answer some of those questions that maybe sometimes some people feel a little embarrassed to ask, um, or it's something that they feel that they should know, uh, and and it, they're making the assumption then that what they are thinking they uh, are correct in a sense. So we'll go through some questions. There's 10 Kind of quick fire questions that we'll we'll run through. Let's do it. Um, the most asked questions on the internet. Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. It. Let's do okay. it. We'll uh, we'll smash through them. But to start off with, let's start with the general kind of question that, that an investor might ask, and that is, why should I invest in property? And what's your uh, what's your opinion on this? Top of line, <clears throat> I think that investing in property, when done, uh, I, I won't. It's a not correctly, but well, when done well informed, and you've made a you know made an informed or educated decision about your investment, um, property is one of the safest markets to invest in. Full stop. So you know when we for anybody listening, when we talk about investment markets, you know it might be stocks, it might be cryptocurrencies, uh, it might be NFTs, it might be property, something you're investing in to to get to see a return on your money, uh, and, and property. I could probably say around the world in most uh, in most countries, especially when we're talking about uh, the UK or Australia, uh, it is one of the most you know it's a hard real asset to invest in, and when done correctly, you can see uh, uh, a strong return on your investment um, for the life of an investment as well. So it's going to keep on giving. It's like the gift that keeps on giving uh, if done, as I said, you know well educated and and when you've made an informed decision that's why i personally that's why i think property is a is why you invest and you know people always people have their their different whys or why they do you know as a result but at the same time why i'm going to go off the question of why choose property to invest in say over something else i think it is the one of the most if not the most stable investment you can make 
Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. It's funny, actually, when I used to work for a, a financial advisory in the past in London, um, and we'd sell property, I was working on investments at the time for the, the company. And the way that we speak to some people about it in, and give just to, I guess, to give you a bit of a almost analogy to, to property, but when you go to the pub, you're not going to go into the pub and talk about where your pension is, or what your pension's mm. doing for you, or you know, how your fund's performing. But if you go into the pub and you're talking about your property, people start to get jealous about hearing about someone invested in property and seeing strong returns on, on capital growth and having a strong rental yield coming in on the property. And I think it also, it's almost like a stigma to the property, uh, to owning some property. You want, um, you know, it kind of, I don't know how to put it in a in a simple way, but just the, it's just owning that piece of property, it gives you mm. a sense of purpose. And you've got, like you were saying, that real, property asset that yeah. you can physically touch Bricks and mortar you know yeah and you can see what it's going to do for you um so i think that's a very good way of putting it no now, i agree i agree one more thing to that it's a um it's a it's a very as you said it's when when you go to someone it's a very statement investment you know everyone yeah. can everyone feels like they can they can buy a stock you know everyone feels like they can um they can buy something whatever whatever it may be is an investment let's go a cryptocurrency or or or, or a it investment but when talking about property it seems that it's held at a very high regard because it takes you know it takes a long time to save you save your money to buy a property or it may take some people a long time to save it may it may take some people a long time to commit to buying a property so when you say you've bought one yeah. it's often or not held in a very high regard in comparison to other investments definitely I think that's yeah, good way of putting it. It's a statement in a sense. Mm. It's a it's a proud statement, like you were saying. It takes a while to gather that that deposit. It's not a couple dollars that are you're being thrown at at something. It's a substantial no. portion, and it's taken years to get to that point to be ready to do it. So, mm. yeah, mm. I agree. Cool, cool, cool. Next question. We are thinking, what have we got here? So we've got, what will it cost me to buy an investment property? <laughs> okay, okay. Right. A to B. Let's label it out. So we go. Let's go, let's put it, let's put a dollar figure on the property. Let's go $500,000. Yep. Um, <clears throat> AUD. So we're talking Australian dollars, $500,000. Yep. Let's go from the day you commit to the day you get your keys. Okay. And now in, in this instant, that instance, we'll talk about something that's off the plan. So we'll talk about a property that is completing in, let's go, let's go Christmas day this year. So we've got now until Christmas. So we buy a property today. The what are the costs that we're going to incur? Or that would the, the the amount of money we need in in cash or let's just let's go cash for now. Let's uh, let's go a uh, dollar figure in cash. So top of line in 90% or 95% of the cases when buying property, we're going to need a 10% deposit to exchange and go unconditional on our contract. So that means we're going to need 10% of the total purchase price. So let's put from $500,000, let's put 50 grand down as a start. Yeah. There are some markets in Australia and some developers will have a 5% deposit uh, now to commit and then 5% remaining at settlement. You know, when, for example, when you get your keys, but let's go 10%. Yeah. So that's $50,000. Um, we're going to incur some solicitor fees and conveyancing fees. Let's put them at 2000 bucks. Um, you know, around about $2,000 in Australia for a solicitor and a conveyancer to go over your contracts to make sure everything's in order and, and you know, to, to go on to bat for you. And that's in that, uh, in that instant. Now, 
other costs related, really. There are some minor costs when we're talking about when we're coming to settlements in um, some minor costs in some depreciation schedules and some landlords insurances and whatnot. Um, but we'll leave them out. We'll put them at just, uh, we'll put them capped at say a thousand bucks. So what are we up to? 2000 bucks. What are we up to now? $54,000. Yeah, exactly that. <clears throat> 54. Now, one thing that we will know, which, which you're probably going to mention or which you're probably going to remind me to mention is your stamp duty payment. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Stamp duty is a big one, especially for, um, for a buyer in New South Wales, when you commit to your property and you go unconditional on your contracts and you exchange, that stamp duty is payable within, I believe, two to three months post that time. So that means your stamp duty, and let's, for this example or for this uh, circumstance, let's say they've got no concession. Let's say they're a they've they're not a first home buyer. They're buying. It's hard because we've just labelled the property at five hundred thousand dollars. But let's say there's no concession. The stamp yep. duty payable will be before settlement. If say if we're settling at Christmas, that means we've got uh, it's going to be around about. I mean, we could do the calculator, yeah, on online as we go. But let's say twenty thousand uh, bucks yep. for New South Wales. So that takes us to from fifty four to seventy four, and that's it. And let's go. Let's go seventy five thousand dollars roughly. Yep. Again, this is not financial advice. This is this is a completely uh, made up scenario. Yep. But it gives you a good idea that for that for about a five hundred grand property, we're going to need uh, from anywhere between seventy to eighty thousand um, dollars if you don't have any other properties and you're just using cash. Would you agree? I'd agree. I think that's a, a good way of breaking it down. Obviously, like you said, it's not financial advice, but it just gives you some numbers, uh, general numbers, really, from mm. a if you were to get into it with no concessions and and trying to purchase another investment property. And a, Absolutely. And we always, we always like to leave a buffer as well. Like you yeah. always like to, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't want to go to your wits end and, and spend or, you know, be by the dollar of just affording something because, you know, which will, I, I'm looking through the our questions here. We'll touch on a, uh, we'll touch on another question about valuations in a little bit, but we, we want to make sure that we have a little bit of cash reserve just in case anything happens, you know, yeah. just to be safe. Definitely. I agree. Did you include transfer of titles there? No, that's another one. But yeah, that's another one to be there. So, yeah, that's. So I let's guess. make it. For, let's make it for five hundred grand. Let's go eighty grand. Eighty grand. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. And these are just general numbers. So don't unless everyone's situation is going to be different. One hundred percent. And there's that, often concessions. There's often different things. You know, different fee types and whatnot. But as a top of line figure, that seems yeah. you know it seems about right. At a, with a with a property of five hundred thousand bucks with a ten percent deposit. Think so and uh, of course there is opportunity to get in at a lower deposit as well as you touched on um i guess the stock in joiner at the moment is a prime example of that uh the opportunity to get in there for about thirty-five thousand dollars um so yeah there is opportunities at different uh different levels but just as a general overview that's the sort of numbers that that's it what you say there's probably a, a really good way of underlining how like uh, uh, from from the you know from the general aisle when just the when you're looking at it um, you see de developer incentives or we talk about five percent deposits or we talk about you know the nab for example here we go the nab scheme they were going to do they were going to do for first time buyers five percent of five percent of the deposit and they were going to cover the other five. Right. 
and people think, oh, what does that mean? Or what what is what is a developer and joiner when they're when you're buying Houseland Pack? What does that mean for them to say that it's thirty five thousand dollar deposit on a say a five hundred fifty grand uh, property? Well, it, it means that we've just gone from needing eighty thousand uh, dollars minus twenty five thousand. So now we've gone from eighty to fifty five pretty quickly. Yeah. So these these this is why these incentives are get snapped up often or not very quickly. So we, we start talking about the the government incentives, or we talk about developer incentives, or we talk about bank incentives, and you know when NAB did their five percent deposit scheme, these incentives get taken up very quickly. And I would always suggest if you do have the ability or the capability um, to go away, to go ahead and utilize them do it like if, if you have the chance to do it 100 do it while you've got the chance because now we're noticing when all these incentives are gone um you realize that for example in victoria when the stamp duty concession went so that that was 50 percent off stamp duty now people are you know having to fork out another 15 another twenty thousand dollars to what they you know could have been doing you know, pre uh, uh or last financial year exactly i think that's a good point a very good point. I think these government, like in the UK, we've had a, a government incentive, which is the government-backed 5% deposit mortgages. Um, mm. And yeah, you have the government signed on your, your mortgage agreement and, and you're mm. on your paperwork. But at the end of the day, it's helping you get into the property market uh, and you've got to take advantage of some of these. Obviously, there's be cautious at the same time. But if you're in a position and you want to get into the property market and, and start investing, then it's a good opportunity to get in at a lower uh, a lower entry point, in a sense, from your side. Absolutely. So definitely. Cool. And that leads on to the next question quite nicely. Is how do I know my property is going to grow or increase in value? The bottom line, or to be very blunt and honest, is you don't. But you can do your checks and balances. You, you can do your um, due diligence by making sure it does with being making an educated and informed decision prior to purchasing it. But the reality is you don't know it's going to grow. Because it grew 10% last year, doesn't mean it's going to grow another 10%. Because, it, because you're buying onto an area that grew 8% last year doesn't mean it's going to grow 16% the next year. Because you grew, you, you bought into an area that went backwards 2% doesn't mean it's going to can keep going backwards or do, just because it's not going to start growing. So getting that, making sure that's clear to me is that you can read online the area did well. And obviously that is, that's history and you should always take it into account. Has an area done well year on year on year? It's a pretty good indication, but it's not guaranteed. So you can't guarantee or assure your property is going to grow. But at the same time, Chris and I, we always talk about the, the drivers that affect high growth and they are population, employment, investment and in infrastructure by the government, your supply. And, and yeah, if you, if you nail four, four key drivers, let's go, as we said, employment, population, investment, infrastructure and supply. Um, and when we're talking about these, we're, we mean the population growth is the population growing, is it declining employment? What's the employment levels? What are the demographic? Uh, what is their employment status? And what are, the, what are they doing for work? Investment infrastructure by a government, for example, healthcare, education, road upgrades, good connectivity. Um, uh, for a blatant example is a, a train line implementation of a, a new train line to great connectivity. And then looking at supply of the area, is it oversupplied, is it undersupplied and coupling that with demand. If you do those four things, if you do those five things and they you check and they all they check out and you're not overpaying, which is a it's a pretty obvious one, if you're not overpaying for a, a, the market rate, then I, I do think there there is going to be um 
some growth for you for sure definitely i think that's uh i think like you just touched on i was going to raise the point as well but following the pop, looking for these areas of population increase that are going to see that population growth or have they seen mm. a decrease in population looking just identifying where the good areas are and then what's driving employment to the area are we seeing employment growth in the area is there infrastructure projects directly involved to that pocket and will that help drive employment as well mm. um, and then looking at the levels of supply which like you touched on intel is going to drive some of the demand for the area as well all three factors will drive the demand for the area so mm. yeah i think there's some things to be uh, i guess considerate of when you are looking at an investment and uh, a good starting point in a sense for, mm. for an investor do you would you agree that you- I've been recently thinking that from my uh, my perspective as well in my own personal experience, I think I've overlooked the population growth. I think I've overlooked what population growth will do to a, not only an area, but a local economy, but to property prices. I've always looked at, I've always been very big on investment in infrastructure, you know, road upgrades, connectivity upgrades. And of course, when governments push money into areas, you know, in matter of fact, they're, they're, they're most likely to grow. Now, I've always not overlooked property, uh, sorry, population growth, but I've I think that I haven't given enough credit to how um, how indicative of the of high growth or of, of the 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 result of of, of population growth um, will be of, of high growth. Now, it's it's a hard one to gauge, especially in Australia at the moment with uh, COVID times, because we, we're predicting immigration. <clears throat> immigration to be huge once the borders open back open uh, open back up um, and, and we look at international students and international demand so it is hard one to pick but i always think uh for me personally at the moment i've always uh i've overlooked pop- the the strength of population growth in the past and, and i'm sure i'm not going to do it the next time <laughs> no, i agree it's probably i've i'm similar to i guess we come from similar backgrounds so it, spending in infrastructure has always been kind of the the top of my list when I'm looking at investments. But when you I guess that at, probably causes population growth. You know, I guess that probably causes population growth. But although when you think about it, it could almost be the other way around. If if they're seeing strong population growth, then the government's thinking, okay, let's implement well, yeah, we yeah, we we have to up we have to upgrade a road. We have to implement a train line. It's yeah, it's part that's actually I mean that's a really good example of Northwest Sydney. Like Northwest Sydney um grew strong and fast in their population and didn't have a train line then the government brought a train line in so yeah you're probably right yeah it's uh interesting which way you look at it but i guess mm. nonetheless they all complement each other and, and mm. if we're seeing the result of one it's more than likely that you'll see the other three entail mm. uh, following behind um but cool so the next question is do i have any obligation to live in my investment property Absolutely not. So you can you can buy a property and never live in it, yep. um, never see it. You can buy a property, never touch it. Um, do you want to elaborate on that? Do you want to do you want to talk about what the positives yeah. and negatives are if you did if you did live in it? I guess from a tax perspective, that's yeah. one thing that we've got to remember. I think that once, and you can probably elaborate a little bit further on this as well. Um, but the fact that. With an investment property, if it's serving just an investment purpose, it's a lot more tax effective at the end of the day. And that comes from the deductions that you can make on the fixtures and fittings, and then also on the, the bones, the bricks and mortar, the, the building itself. And that at the end of the day is gonna help 
your cash flow from an investment perspective. Um, mm -hmm. Once you walk into that property and you live in that property, and correct me or tell me if I'm wrong, but once you've lived in that property for or within the first 12 months of settling on the property, you then can't claim as much on the depreciation of the fixtures and fittings. Isn't that correct? It's it's a tricky one. It's yeah. a tricky one. One thing, we'll, go, we'll come back to that, but one thing to note, not jumping away or skipping that point, is um, what living in the property will do. Uh, and when I, when I started off, I started off really strong saying you, you, don't have, you, do, you don't have an obligation. You don't. But to Chris's point of missing, um, not missing, but yeah, yeah, maximizing your, <clears throat> mac, yeah, maximizing your tax deductions or your your ability to, to not pay tax would be to uh, a key one for me is capital gains tax. Now we talk about property like we're not going to sell it, and I and I am a strong believer on if you can afford to hold, just hold. You know, I've sold things in the past that I shouldn't have sold. <clears throat> You know, for example, I've sold a pair of shoes that I shouldn't have sold. That I should have just held on to them for the life of their time and they've become more and more valuable over time. A property is the number one thing for this. If you can afford to not sell, or it, I get it, some properties aren't working for you. It might have been a bad call. It's not a good investment. Of course, you can, you can, you can, you can ship them. You can get rid of them. But if you can afford to hold it and it's rising, then just keep holding. Um, but if you did want to sell it, <clears throat> you can avoid paying capital gains tax. Um, if you were to occupy the property uh, for 12, I'm going to get, I'm, I've, I might've got this wrong here for 12 months within the first, you're going to live in the property for a certain amount of time within the first two years. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a, then there's a window of eight years, seven or eight years where you can miss capital gains tax. You can sell, for example, for listening at home, yeah, yeah. if you bought the property 500,000, it's a tax where you pay, uh, you pay a tax on the uplift value. So if, if you then sold it for $800,000, you're paying a tax on, on that uplift. Left. Yeah, okay. It's interesting. This, uh, this question is probably quite relevant for my mother at the moment. She's looking at purchasing an investment or tossing up whether to buy an investment property or something that she's going to call the family home and, know one day be the kids uh property but at the moment she's uh, we're going back and forth almost daily at the moment and she's thinking but do i have to live in the property and i don't want to live out there or you know <laughs> what benefits do i have if i am living in it and what benefits do i have if i'm not living in it mm. but it's just i think making people aware that of course you know you have no obligation to live in it you could live in it if you want there's nothing stopping you from living it it's a good it, fallback plan if things go wrong you know you can always move into it Exactly. Um, exactly that. Um, and then like you touched on with the, the capital gains tax as well. Um, but there's, I guess, the it's just having, you have to know what you want from your investment. And if you're looking at an investment property, in most cases, you're looking at it to grow some more, you grow your portfolio for the future, in a sense. And that's one way that I'm looking at it with my mother, almost looking at it as though it's a pension to her. It's the fallback option at the moment. So, you know, when when she's retired, she's living the life on Sunshine Coast and, and relaxing. She's got this, say, $600,000 property that's ticking over, paying the mortgage is essentially paying for itself with the rental income that's coming in. Uh, it's growing in value year on year. She's seeing strong growth from it. And that's sitting there, you know, in 10 years time, it might be worth, let's say, a million dollars. And then she's got that kind of fallback in a sense. Uh, if everything does go belly up and she needs somewhere else to go, she could move into the property at the end of the day. And, and exactly. And that's a, that's a prime example of, of a, of a, um, a successful investment, you know, a successful investment. Yeah. So, but cool. Um, okay. The next question, and this one is, 
a bit more open, I could, you could say, but should a property have a positive yield? Oh, where do you start? Okay, so a positive yield meaning means that your property is putting money in your pocket, really. So you're yielding a positive. It's, a, it's probably a, probably a, a, not the best worded question. Is the, is your yield is your yielding on it's, it's positively geared? Who knows? But well, let's just for example, let's say let's say should you go for a yielding property versus a equity or capital gain or capital you know best, uh, yeah capital yeah. growth sort of strategy yielding properties are often not found when a rental yield is your rent per week times 52 so your rental um, per annum rent per year and you divide that by your purchase price so then you found out a percentage and this percentage figure you'll probably read online and it'll say sydney's average yields three percent or yeah. lower in some instances instances uh, Queensland's average yields, we look at five, five percent now, five and a half percent. Melbourne, very similar to Sydney, three and a half percent, in some cases, four percent. Um, yeah, but the old story is, is or the, the uh, how you could probably word this the, the, the not correct way, but how it usually goes is that if you have a high yield on a property, the less chance it is it is going to grow. So people always come to us and they say they want a, they want a good yield and they'll say they also want it to have high growth. Yeah. It's like a golden egg. You're probably never going to get it. In some cases you do. Um, it's very, very rare. But when the yield is high, it means that the asset is, is riskier. And, and this is most certainly the case in commercial property, industrial property. When it's got higher the yield, the, the asset itself is riskier. Now, I think a, a good yielding asset is fantastic to have if you want to buy one or two properties and be done and 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 don't invest again. Uh, and they're often not going to pay themselves off. For example, your your mum's instant, uh, your mum's case circumstance, um, and if <clears throat> and it's going to pay itself off, and you and you're not too worried about using equity to to, to buy again or to refinance and buy again. If you are looking for a property to help your cash flow, and say you've got three or four uh, capital growth uh, strategies, so you've got you've got key properties and areas, you know, in blue chip areas, and they and they haven't got the best yield, so we're often we're paying money out of our pocket per week to service the debt and the mortgage. Um, I think that getting a nice yielding asset. Uh, can can amend that or can fix that, and then you could start diversifying your strategy a little bit. Um, but to, it's a bit of a long long winded response by me here. I don't mean to you know blabber on too <laughs> much, fine. but I think that in some cases, in some it's very particular, but in some circumstances, a positive yield or a, a good let's just go a, a strong yield yeah. is probably the better way to put it. Um, is great and, and is ideal. Um, in other cases, it a strong yield just won't come with your property that you've bought um, uh, in a capital growth yeah. area, a capital growth strategic purchase in an area, for example, like your eastern suburbs of Sydney, you're going to see real low yields, you know, low, sub uh, sub three percent. Other circ other areas in Sydney, you're going to see uh, yields of four percent, but it, often not. That's because the capital growth isn't going to be there. Yeah, of course. For people who want to be like the mighty Lewis Heaton, what would you pick if you were going to go and invest today? Would you go for yield or would you go for capital growth? I would go for capital growth. Why? Because I, I, it's a, I'm more interested in uh, seeing a property grow in value and I can cope with it being a little bit negatively geared. I can cope with, 
putting money out of my pocket to service it. Um, but I know that in two or three, four, maybe five years, let's go three, four years time, or yeah, I'm going to knock on the bank's door and say, you know, I want more, I want more, I want more money to go buy property. I want to, you know, I want to get another loan by refinancing because I've, because I want to buy again. I'm, I'm I want to be quite aggressive in my investments. I think, I think going for something today, um, not outlaying too much of your, your capital, like not laying, not outlaying a lot of your money in your pocket and picking up a nice asset that yields three and a half, four percent um, you know, four percent yield. That's, take I it. mean, that's yeah. Take it. Yeah. Run with it. And then that's in a nice area of six, 7% growth. I mean, that's, that's your golden egg right there. Yeah, exactly. So uh, finding those gold mines. So we've got to keep an eye on there. I out for and don't worry, you'll you'll miss them. Like you people, people yeah. will um, you know, no word, no excuse me for a lack of a better words, but people will shit on you when you when you <laughs> point out a property investment or you say that this is an area that could grow. People always, you know, it's a yeah. the classic Sunday night dinner table. No, 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 no. But yeah. we've seen it time and time and time again over the past two years, especially I'm just gonna go start a pandemic till now. We've seen it time and time again you know, over the past 20 years that that area or that area or that property you thought um, had all the key drivers, had all everything that you thought was going to be, turn out to be a good investment. It does turn out to be a good investment. And unfortunately you didn't buy it. Yeah. You know, it's the, the age old story. I think Brisbane's a prime example of that at the moment, all the mm. hype that we're seeing for Brisbane. Um, mm. I guess the, the level of interest in Queensland at the moment uh, and mm. how quickly stock is getting snatched up. But in a sense, Brisbane presents almost that hybrid uh, opportunity at the moment in this, I guess you're getting some relatively strong rental yields. You're looking at what, let's say four and a half to 5% conservatively mm. really. Uh, and then capital growth. And with the Olympics being announced, I think that they'll be seeing some very, very strong capital growth mm. in 10 years. But uh, like we, like I spoke to Peter about last week, really, it's uh, now Queensland finding its next opportunity or harnessing this opportunity that they have and creating more from the city uh, to put it on the map more. It needs that global recognition to go to the it next, does. in my opinion. And I think that the Olympics will, I say this a lot. I don't think you can, I don't think you can base your investment off an Olympic campaign, but at the same time, if you look what happens to host cities, especially Sydney in 2000, you look what happens five years prior, 10 years post. Yeah. Um, it's not, uh, it's not your, your golden ticket to success. Uh, but at the same time, um, the government piles in money, you know, the government will pile in infrastructure, the government piles in, and then people will say, yeah, but how does a stadium, a new stadium help my, uh, you know, help my property grow? Well, the new stadium is going to bring a lot of eyes, going to bring a lot of people. And these, a lot of people are going to spend a lot of money in your local economy, going to push, you know, going to start pushing the local, local economy is going to start feeding more business that creates more job opportunity, you know, and then we, we touched on it before that'll, you know, that'll give more incentive to the government to upgrade the road, to upgrade a school, to put in a new, to, to cater for the demand. So it, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a, it's a great story. As you said, the Brisbane story. And I think that the, the way they handle it over the next building in and then working their way out of the next sort of let's go let's go a 15 year bracket um will be very interesting to see if brisbane can be hitting um you know yeah. or standing in the ring with your sydney and your melbourne's yeah like to see it. i think the opportunity is there but uh yeah. 
They're just gonna... Some people don't believe in it, but exactly. Sam's Sam's one of those. Sam, yes. if you're listening. <laughs> um, okay, so next question: What is a valuation? That might sound quite simple, but yeah, what is a okay. valuation, Lou? Um, a property val- a, a property val- a valuation. How do, how do you? I mean, Chris. While I'm speaking, pull up the the the, the legal definition of a property valuation. But in yeah. my in my in my experience in history, property valuation is a a a value of of a property given by a professional um, being a property valuer. Yeah. Based off his findings and research into the property, and, and it's an extensive report they will do. And he'll give you a value uh, of a of a going of a going market rate of a going. Am I am I close? Yeah, you're pretty much on the spot. He says valuation is a quantitative process of determining the fair value of an asset or firm. Fair value. Yeah. Yeah. So, evaluation in in our world means that really is uh, is the dollar figure that your property is going to is valued for, and we come into valuations in our world is big um when we start talking about uh, obtaining loans when we start talking about getting our finances approved when we start talking about you know what we're going to need to pay so valuations in in a sense you know you'll get your property valued and you and you may do nothing with that you know you can pay a value to come out he'll value your property and it'll probably give you a good indication if i'm going to sell it this is what i'm going to get you're never going to um when we're talking about properties um, a valuer will come out and tell you your property is worth a million bucks. It doesn't mean you're going to receive a million dollars. You've got to go away and sell that, but he's giving you a, a good and an expert and a professional opinion, not an, a professional report and findings of in his uh, opinion of the findings that that's, this is what the property is worth. Yeah. So vows are vows. It can be very tricky um, and they, and they have to be navigated with core in with caution in, uh, when we're talking about getting finance approved and a few other things, but um, talking about valuations, please talk to a valuer. Um, they are they are certificate and certified, and they have you know I I did my all my at university I did my vows degree, so I've got my checks and balances. If I wanted to be a valuer, I still have to go work in the valuation field for you know I think it is now two or three years to get to get yeah to get signed off. So it's not just you can't come straight out of university and become a valuer. You still have to do your time. Um, but these people are experts and, and to, it's not, people get confused with getting a market appraisal, getting an appraisal done. An appraisal can be done by a real estate agent. I would get like a real estate agent An appraisal means in their opinion of comparable sales in the, in the area, this is what your, your property is worth. But a, a valuer is a, um, it's a, it's a lane of its own. Yeah, definitely. I, I guess a question that can tie in quite nicely with evaluation, and this might be something that you've come across recently, but I guess sometimes your vow isn't going to stack up to where you'd like it or where you're thinking it's mm. going to be. Um, and sometimes it happens more often than not with, with investment properties. It can, it can happen a little bit. Um, but ha- what would you tell a client if the vow has come in undervowed uh, and you've got a gap to pay? Cause you know, it's not in my head, it's not something to be concerned about. It's, you know, it's almost part of the, the process at the start, in particular with an investment property. Um, but yeah. what would be your kind of take on on that? I think you've just got to be... Vows um, are the worst because 
it's uh, it can put you back, you know, 10,000, 15,000 bucks. If you, if you, I think the only thing to say, the answer to that would be, you've got to be prepared. Yeah. Um, most circumstances and in most cases, your vow will come on contract price. If you've done, you know, if you've bought well, to say, well, you've bought well, it's, it's come on contract. And this is when we're talking about something, you've bought something off the plan or you've built a new home yeah. as a house and land package. Um, <clears throat> uh, if you're buying, if it comes in short, there are ways around it. And I'm sure that you need to be, I think the best, the best answer to this without sounding too wishy-washy would be, be with a very good, know your mortgage broker and be yeah. partnered and be working with a strong uh, a well-versed and a, and a very experienced mortgage broker because yep. they can be assistance to that. And also at the same time in the front end, be, be selecting a property uh, that is going to give you the best um, possible chance of a, of a vow to be on contract price or maybe above, but I agree. I agree. That be prepared. If a vow comes in short, yeah, uh, it's, to- it can be very detrimental, yeah. but it's, it, it's, if you can, if you can weather the storm, don't think it's going to be that like that for the rest of your, you know, investment journey. Yeah, and don't see it as the end of all. End of the world. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't see it as that it, it happens, and mm. there are ways around it in a sense. Um, okay, the next one. How long should I wait before I sell? There's not really a, a right or wrong answer with this. I guess it depends. No, no. I think that um, I think we may have touched on that before. So yeah. we, we, I'll be very quick without sounding too harping on it. I think you should always hold on if you if you have the if you have the um ability to hold on to property. I think hold, um, don't sell because <laughs> the markets and the markets only going to grow. Yeah, it's exactly. Gonna, it's not going to keep rocketing in in a in a direction that's unfathomable. But, but I mean, the people that yeah. yeah. In, in 10, 10 years' time, you're going to see strong growth regardless, yeah. I think. But if you if you do need to sell, yeah. um, if you do need to sell, then when should I sell my property? I would take into, into account capital gains if you've lived in the property, which is good. Um, take into account your taxes. Um, taking good to, take into account where the market's at at the moment and be and be, I can speak about this personally at the moment because my mother and father just sold their our family home and they're moving yeah. into another place. Um, no kids there anymore. They've they've downsized from right. their place at the moment. They you know it's a, they bought a little place. But yeah. in saying that, one real estate agent told them this. That's where they thought the market was. They gave it to the young kid who was you know who was um, on their tail about it. You know doing work work work. They gave it to another agent, and he sold it for a significant amount of money more than um, yeah. they were they were appraised. And I said, Mum, I said that's purely. That's not, it might've been the market. It might've been where it is, but it was an off market opportunity. So there wasn't many offers coming in. Um, yeah. But to this point, when I say, when should I sell that, that maybe hold on. But if you are going to sell, make sure you are um, seeking the best advice uh, uh, by your, by your realist, you know, your, your real estate agents as well, when you're going to sell. Definitely. No, that's a good point to make. Um, the next question, Louis, is around what does a solicitor and or conveyancer do in regards to my investment property? They will review, uh, they will review your contracts. So they will review your contracts and imagine them as if you're the boxer, imagine them as your cornerman. So in your in your corner, if you're the boxer, in your corner, you should have expert, an expert mortgage broker, an expert solicitor conveyancer 
hopefully us at Wealthy in your corner as well, help, uh, assisting you with the purchase. Um, but the, the solicitor conveyancer <clears throat> will iron out all the parts of the contract and, and amendments to uh, to make them or to make the contract as in your favor as much as they as much as possible or as much as they can do yeah so your best interest they're, they're working in your best interest and they will be they will be working with the developer solicitor um, and the developer solicitor will be working in the interest of the developer of course but they're on your team so they're they're going into bat for you so they're in the contract they're looking at every part of a contract that comes with it sunset dates talking about where the, where your deposit sitting is it sitting in a trust account is your deposit being utilized is it, there's lots of things we can go into but your uh, uh, solicitor and conveyancer will come in to the purchase process of investment property when you have got your contract they will sit you down and go through the amendments and and, and what they would recommend and and talk you through the contract so i would always advise going uh, going with a strong uh, a, a strong solicitor or conveyancer to do that for you Definitely. They're going to be your best friend uh, at the end of the day. 100%. And, yeah. and I, I'm not sure <clears throat> it's a solicitor or conveyance. I, I would have to check up on this as well, but some people will go ahead and sign the contract themselves. Some people will not seek advice, but I would always say, get a solicitor and conveyance involved to review the contract, talk about all the amendments, talk about everything to, to walk you through it. Um, their fee, as we mentioned before, will often not be, uh, let's go a massive ballpark figure. Again, it can vary with solicitors and conveyances. It can go anywhere. Let's go 2000 bucks, two and a half grand, but it is, it is in your best interest to do so. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a good way of putting it They're uh, Yeah. They're going to be your best friend. They're going to help you get the best terms on your contract or try their 100%. best. To get them. Um, so at the end of the day, a very beneficial part of the team. Mm, absolutely. Um, Another member of the team that, that you might we might consider on some occasion, but would you recommend to a client to use a buyer's agent? Well, I mean, use use wealthy. There you go. We'll, we'll, yeah, use use wealthy. I think that wealthy. I'll give I'll give us a plug. I'll give us a, a shameless plug here. We are a a completely free service to use. We identify and qualify investment opportunities across Australia, you know, in, in key capital markets and tailor make um, strategies, plans uh, for you, matching you to the best property um, possible. And at the one, at the same time, we're a one-stop shop, so we can, you know, you can you can tap into our services and use our partner mortgage brokers, solicitors, conveyances, um, the best in the business in each and every state. But beside the point, um, buyers agents are great. Buyers agents uh, often will ninety. 100% of the time uh, charge you a fee. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll take a percentage of the, of the purchase price or, or a fee in, in, in some way to use their service. I think to put it, um, to put it bluntly, I think that seeking advice is in your best interest as well. Yeah. Um, you can read a lot online. Like you can, you can read um, copious amounts of information. It can get quite tedious. It can get quite, um, you know, bring on some anxiety. Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right decision? Am I buying the right property? Am I, am I looking at the right investment area? Am I talking to the right people? Do I think that by not talking about, am I, if you're talking to someone who, you know, they may have been recommended, they may have got some review, they may, uh, like they're, they're, they live and breathe uh, this stuff all the time. So I think seeking advice is 100% the way to go. Um, I think talk to us, before you talk to anyone else 
again, completely, completely free service. Don't take any money off you. Um, and you can tap into our expert level of knowledge in an array of, of different areas. So yeah. would you agree? I think that I getting think advice that, is good. I think that it also depends on the type of asset you're looking for in a sense. Mm. As well. So if you're looking at investment opportunities, investment properties, come to people like speak to wealthy. We, you know, we're not going to charge you a fee and we're going to guide you through the process. We want to help you get on the property ladder and buy your first investment property. If it's your first or if it's your fifth, we want to help mm. you and we're not going to charge you a fee, um, but we'll hold your hand and find a property that suits what you're looking for. So in a sense, you could say that we are a buyer's agents from that. Exactly. Yeah. Sense. Um, but then if you're looking, you know, say you're in the Eastern suburbs in Sydney and you've got a, criteria you know a list of things that you want to hit uh, and you're looking for a quality asset a lot of the time some of these buyers agents are given stock off market before anyone else has had an opportunity to look at them so you can get in early and you know get an opportunity to put an offer in on these properties that are quite exclusive uh, and you might not get an opportunity to get your foot in the door if you were going to wait until it comes to market so i think it depends on what you're looking for but from an investment perspective um i think that yeah by all means come to us come speak to us absolutely we'll to help you mm. so and be very careful in who you select be very uh be very mindful of your um who your buyer's agent is and, and their experiences yeah definitely definitely i agree well louis that is the questions for today hey, the top uh, 10 questions they didn't they, they lived up to expectation i i, I really liked it well, that's it. We'll do. We should do a monthly segment on uh, most asked questions for the month or something. Hundred percent. Yeah, the most asked questions. That was. The, I, I hope you all listening got a, take, a good takeaway from that or a piece of information. Yeah. Um, please reach out to Chris and I if you if you want any more updates or questions from from that top ten. Um, I think uh, I think we covered a lot. We did. I think that was good. And uh, thank you, everyone, who has tuned in tonight. It's been a, a pleasure to speak to you, Louis. Uh, and I look forward to the next catch-up. And everyone that did listen, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, and we will keep you posted on the next podcast. But thank you again, Louis. We'll speak soon.